you know, I think our target market is evolving over time in that more and more people are becoming sports bettors and more and more sports bettors are starting to bet more seriously. They're starting to care about how have my last 20 bets went or what can I do to be betting better? Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear episode 84 of the Betting Startups podcast with Ricky Gold from Juice Reel, which is optimizing the sports betting industry and enriching the sports betting experience. This episode is brought to you by GeoComply, who along with City will kick off G2E in less than a week with the Challenger Series Summit this Sunday, October 9th in Las Vegas. The Challenger Series Summit is a unique networking opportunity to learn from US iGaming founders and entrepreneurs who will be sharing the hacks, tips, and tricks to achieve high growth. Unfortunately, reservations to the event are now closed, but if you were lucky enough to snag a ticket, I'll look forward to seeing you there. All right, we are back on the Betting Startups podcast with our friend Benji Cherniak, who is officially the second most familiar voice to regular listeners of the pod. He's back once again as guest host, which I believe completes a hat trick for you this year, Benji. So welcome back. It has been a few months so since we last heard from you. So just to check in at the starting line, how was your summer? And as importantly, how are you keeping as we start the home stretch of 2023? Summer was great. I spent a chunk of it in Europe, a chunk of it in Canada. And looking at the home stretch, I'll be making my return to Las Vegas probably around the time that this podcast comes to life. So looking forward to that. And in regards to hat tricks, I was a defenseman in my hockey days on the ice. Didn't get too many of those. So happy to have one here. Right on, Benji. Well, this time around, you spoke with Ricky from Juice Reel, which is an app I keep hearing more and more about. So can you tee this one up for us and give folks listening a preview of your discussion with Ricky? Yeah, I think there's a couple of key points here. Like, first of all, Ricky is a really good dude. I've known him, I guess, three years or so now. We talk about that a little bit at the beginning of the podcast. But as you know, I do some investing and advising in startups. And Ricky is someone who I've had conversations with over the years. And we didn't really discuss this much in the podcast, but... I didn't get involved with this company. It just wasn't the right fit for the two of us at that time. And I think it's one that I'll probably live to regret. You know, I look at where the app is today. I look at the traction that he has. I look at him as an entrepreneur, and I really feel that he's someone with the type of integrity and fortitude to make it happen. And I'm just really impressed with where he is from a product perspective. And a lot of what he was predicting to me three years ago in regards to where he would get to, I now see coming to fruition. Just really impressed with him and, and what he's done and where he is in terms of distraction. Awesome. Well, it was another great episode. Spoiler alert, won't be the last time we hear from you before this year's out. So thanks again for stepping in, guest hosting this one. And with that, onto the episode with Ricky from Juice Reel. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Betting Startups podcast. My name is Benji Cherniak, sitting in, I think, as my third time as a guest host for Jesse. We won't talk much about me because I think you know who I am. We're here to talk today with Ricky Gold from Juice Reel. Ricky, welcome to the pod. Hey, Benji. Thanks for choosing to have me on. And thank you as well, Jesse. Great to be on. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Uh, how long have I known you now? Has it been two years since we met? Has it been that long? I think it may even be a little bit longer, probably like three, three and a half. Has it been that long? Wow. I was trying to think where we met. I know we got together at GDE a couple of times or whatever else, but enough about that. I really want to jump in and, and, and talk to our audience and, and, and hear from you and learn a little bit about the ins and outs of, of you and Juice Reel and, and your journey to date. Maybe to start off, you can just take us back a little bit and tell us a bit about you, your background, and kind of what, were you, what you were doing previously and what was the inspiration that, that led to the creation of Juice Reel. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so I'm Ricky Gold, founder of Juice Reel, which is a sports betting tool used by consumer sports bettors. And what I was doing before that kind of led me to this, well, I've, I've really been a sports better kind of forever, probably uh, for too long. But my background has been in the data and tech space. I spent a little bit of time at Google and Booz Allen and pretty much my whole career in tech consulting, building data cleansing engines for banks. And kind of that's that professional work is kind of what led me to, to at least have the skill set to start this company. But it's my interest in sports betting from, is where all the ideas came from. Was it the type of thing where as you were kind of getting going in your career, even growing up and being someone who loves sports and sports betting, where you always had in your mind that you wanted to either work in this industry or start a company in this industry, or have you always had a desire to be an entrepreneur? Tell me about that and, and, and how you feel actually started. Yeah, I mean, I always felt like I wanted to do more than my nine to five. I, and I don't know if I'd go as far to say I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I was definitely sitting at my nine to five thinking I want to just do more and get more out of my day and, and accomplish more. What really got Juice Real going, though, is well before I started my career, I'd be you know, what you anyone who, who bets on sports knows that if you ask anyone else how they're doing betting on sports, how is football season going, you rarely get a numerical answer. You get, I'm doing good, I'm doing bad. But prior to, to our app or some other bet tracking out there, there was never an ability to, to really keep track of how you're doing in an automated fashion. And then you're sitting on uh, your couch, it's 3 p.m., the morning football games are winding down, you've got a bunch of bets out, and there's never a number of how you're doing mid-game. Uh, you never have a sense of how your bets are doing in a quantitative fashion, and, and those were just parts of the sports betting experience that I thought were missing, and that snowballed into uh, a lot more that, that started the creation of Juice Reel. I mean, it's definitely snowballed into a lot more, that's for sure. But tell us maybe a bit about the product and about the company and about Juice Reel. I, I know that at, at its core, there's a bet tracking application. And you speak to when you were speaking with friends way back when, they would say, I'm doing well, I'm not doing well, but you couldn't really quantify that. And via the bet tracking, you now can. But your app is a lot more than that. So maybe dig in a little bit and tell us uh, about the product. Yeah, that because that's uh, exactly that's really just where it began. The, as a user, the journey starts out by connecting in your betting account, your DraftKings, your Barstool, your FanDuel, wherever, and all of your sports bets load into our app. And so, what what really gets interesting is now all of that data sinks into our platform, and there we use that community of data from all of our users and analyze it for the benefit of our entire user base. Right. And and how many books do you have syncing? Like, is it just the U.S. books? Is it international? Is it, uh, tell me a bit um, about that. Yeah, we've got over 300 betting websites uh, and sports books. So pretty much all the major players in the U.S. market, uh, a little bit globally. And, and we do support the offshore operators from a sense that you can sync your books from offshore operators but we never drive traffic offshore because that's definitely on the wrong side of a gray line. Yeah, look, I go back to my my days in the space on the, on the Don Best side and 
the provision of that data is perfectly fine. So I totally get that. So you talk about doing more with the data now that you have so much of it. So maybe dig in on that a little bit more for the benefit of people listening in here. How, how can they use that data to their benefit uh, other than tracking bets? What are some of the other things that they can do that you're doing with the data for them? So to me, one of the most interesting metrics is a metric that we came up with called sharp mush, which measures the difference between what the sharps are doing and, and what the mush uh, are doing. So essentially the good betters and the bad betters on a game. So historically forever, if you're looking for where the sharp money is on a game, you'd really look at how much money is on a, on a team versus uh, how many tickets are on a team. And if you saw a lot of money on one team and not a lot of people betting on it, you would assume that's where the sharp money is. But there's a huge flaw in that idea in that just because there's a lot of money doesn't mean smart people are betting on it. Floyd Mayweather puts a million dollars on a random college football team and everybody thinks they're following a sharp better. You might just be following a guy who bets a lot. The only real way to be following sharp betters is to be following people who have a strong historical performance, people who have proven that they're good betters over time. And so to your, what we were talking about just before with what do you do with all of this data that you have synced in? We know who's a good better. And we know who's a bad better because everybody's connected in their betting accounts. And so we can look at a, a given game. Let's just call it a, a Jets-Bills game. We can see that of everyone betting on the game, perhaps all of the smart, profitable, historical betters are taking the Jets and all of the historical losers are taking the Bills. And that difference in activity between good and bad betters is a really insightful piece of information that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. And that kind of rotates really well when you talk about tracking the performance and seeing who the smart betters are versus the non-sharp betters are, as much as you call it. And that morphs well into, when I was playing with the app, this area called Sharp Picks. What can you tell us about that? And, and that sort of plays into all of this. So are you talking about the community locks portion? Yeah, I'm talking about juice picks. So I say sharp oh. picks. I meant juice picks. My bad. Oh, no. So, so juice picks is we take all of that data that everybody has synced into the platform and, and we created what started with one AI bot. Now we have a, a fleet of them where the objective is to look at all this data and find two bets that we think have the highest probability of hitting. And that's exactly what Juice Picks is. It's we're in real time using a technology stack to try and predict sports betting winners. Cool. And if I'm using that product, Juice Picks, if I'm tracking other individuals and I can buy their picks, is that how that works? So just to take a step back, so the Juice Picks is really an AI provisioned feature where it's as simple as we're putting out two picks a day daily. There's a different component of the app called Community Locks, where essentially everyone who's betting on a game, everyone who has open bets, has their bets automatically put up for sale to be unlocked by the broader community. So if you think about sports betting, the sports betting advice industry today, there's tons of flaws in the sports betting advice industry from starting from majority of the sports betting advice industry is driven by Twitter followings with or Twitter handicappers with a big following. 
And you don't even actually know if those guys selling the picks are good betters or not. And you buy their picks and you don't know if they're giving you the Jets and the other guy the bills, knowing one of you guys is going to win. But that lack of transparency isn't even the biggest flaw in the sports betting advice industry. A bigger flaw is that to sell sports betting advice, you actually have to want to sell sports betting advice and take action to do so and distribute the picks and collect the money and really become a sports betting uh, handicapper. We've solved that issue because in a perfect world, every sports better is a sports betting advice salesman. And the good better's advice is the advice that gets sold. And so that's what we've created. We've automated, authenticated, and democratized the sports betting advice industry, where everyone on our platform's bets are automatically and anonymously put up for sale. And other users can see high-performing users and unlock their bets and tail them. Yeah, that's a feature that I like. To me, that's really impressive and super cool. And and for some of these guys who are good at what they're doing and good at picking games, and now they begin monetizing it, do you have any form of interaction with them? Like, how does that process uh, unfold? Yes, everyone in our app interacts with each other. So you unlock picks by spending our app currency. We call milliliters of juice or just juice. And so you can spend milliliters of juice unlocking other people's picks in the app. And one of the features our users like the most is if you unlock a pick and it doesn't win, you get all your juice back. So either you buy a winning pick or your juice back. So it creates a really positive experience for the, the end user. Gotcha. Gotcha. Tell me a bit about that end user because you've got both the sharp side and the mush side. Who do you view as your end user? Because I understand people can use this app for, for tracking their bets and people can also use this app to uncover great information, some of the stuff that you're alluding to now. So who do you view as the target user today? And how will that evolve over to this as more states open up and as people become more mature in their betting habits? That's really a good question. So I mean, our people come to our app for different reasons, like you were just alluding to. The professional bettors are on the platform because they have tons of sports books and they want to track them all in one place. And they like to see our real-time analysis of how their bets are doing as the game plays out. And so those users come to the app for the automated tracking a little bit more. They're the people who everybody else wants their picks. And some of the newer bettors are coming to our platform to start learning about betting analytics and to start seeing what high-performing users are doing. So our target audience is really, in my mind, anyone who's betting on sports more than once a month, anyone who's not just taking the Jets because they're going to the Jet game people who are betting at least semi-consistently. And, you know, I think our target market is evolving over time in that more and more people are becoming sports bettors and more and more sports bettors are starting to bet more seriously. They're starting to care about how have my last 20 bets went or what can I do to be betting better? So the I'd say the it's more that, in my opinion, the market of sports bettors is evolving to find a product like ours more and more attractive. Yeah, really interesting. As your app continues to evolve from a product set and as your user base continues to grow and you scale and you attract more and more data, not that you don't have a lot right now, like I think you've reached some pretty impressive metrics you might want to even share here in terms of the amount of bet handle that's come through your app. 
But as that multiplies and continues to grow, what are some of the other things you think can be done with this data that could be really interesting for both you and the industry? Yeah, you know, there's a, a lot of stuff that this data becomes interesting for. We haven't done anything like this yet, but there's a world where you can create more targeted advertising based on people's betting, betting tendencies and do so in a way that it actually helps the end user. So you can curate Yankee ads to somebody betting on the Yankees frequently, even though they live in Kansas City. And people like that more than perhaps uh, a Kansas City Royals ad. I think the data becomes also more interesting for to train AI models. You need tons and tons uh, of data where, you know, teams only play so many games, you know, there's 16, 17 weeks of football. So there's only so much. And if you look at multiple seasons, that's not that many games. So the fact that we can overlay tons and tons of betting records. Yeah, you were alluding to how we have uh, a lot of betting handle. We've got over a billion dollars synced into the platform from our users. That that amount of data is, is a scale that is a lot more applicable to, to training AI for sure. For sure. I'm going to back up a little bit and kind of shift gears a bit away from the product and into kind of the business itself and, and as you're getting going. I think one of the interesting things, and probably when I initially met you, you were, or maybe you had just finished, You were, at one point you were working full time while starting this company at the same time and trying to juggle both and balance both. And you got your company started uh, via bootstrapping efforts, which is something that I always find it really interesting as a, as a way as a founder to get things off the ground and protect your equity to the best of your ability. So maybe tell me and tell the audience a little bit about that, when you got going, how you kind of did that, the juggling of the two, the bootstrapping efforts, and, and how that evolved for you. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, when we met Benji, we were probably more of a PowerPoint than we were a product. Bootstrapping has its pros and cons. I, I did, when I started this company, I spent two years working on it while also having a day job and sourced a team of a bunch of a uh, few brilliant engineers out in New York also. They all had day jobs as well. And so we were working on this business every night after work for two years before we raised our first bit of money. We took the app from inception to launch. And I had been bootstrapping the company, putting my day-to-day -day paychecks uh, into the business. But, you know, the pros of that are you get to maintain more equity. You can get to that point where you can launch an app with a, a good team instead of, you know, an investment that you end up spending money on a team. You end up with a more loyal team and you and the team both have bigger equity stake. And over the long run for the years to come, that does good things for team morale. You, you know, I love that my team has a sizable equity stake. Yeah, you know, I'm curious as to how that plays with investors. For me, as someone who who's an angel investor, and, and disclaimer here, I'm not involved at all with your business, but for the purpose of those listening, I have no involvement with Juice Wheel, even though I've known Ricky a long time and have a lot of respect to what he's done here. But for me, when I see a founder who's bootstrapped, who's taken their own paychecks and invested into the business, along with their own blood, sweat, and tears, along with co-founders and if not co-founders, folks that have worked with you on the uh, building the app who also have their skin in the game, 
it, it speaks to your commitment. And as, as, as an investor, I think that might play well when you're approaching people with capital. I'm not sure where your experiences are with that. Agreed. I mean, I think uh, as an investor, at least if I was an investor, I'd love to see, you know, the dedication and the, you know, it takes a lot uh, that for better or for worse, it's taken a lot of dedication to spend all of that time for a point doing two jobs. Obviously now uh, I'm full time on this, but yeah, I do think it it speaks to the amount of hard work uh, that we've all put in. And I think investors, at least as I'm sure any other founder knows, the first investment uh, is definitely a humongous challenge and, and a big milestone when you achieve it. And so to for someone to believe in you after putting in all that work and actually wire you money and, and help you grow the business, it's a validating feeling. So to be clear, you graduated from the bootstrapping days. You have taken in third-party capital and investment. Can you discuss that process at all? Yeah, we have done uh, two rounds of capital raising. Uh, I'm not going to get into the numbers uh, on this call, but along the way, we've met a lot of great people. That's probably my favorite part of raising capital is the people you come across. Everybody's got uh, interesting takes on your business and you meet a lot of good people. And that process is it's a little bit grueling, but it's rewarding. And as you keep growing the business, it's great to meet more and more people along the way. I look at your business and I look at where you were, as you alluded to, when you came to me, it was more of a PowerPoint with a bit of a prototype versus now when I logged into to the app the other day, you showed it to me that I logged back in and I hadn't been in there for a while. And it's really mind boggling what progress has been made, which is a testament to you and your team and how this product has evolved. But for you, what have been the biggest challenges as an entrepreneur? And what has surprised you the most about being an entrepreneur and about this journey thus far? So I guess there's two questions in there. Yeah, I'd say the biggest challenges are probably the amount and breadth and consistency of new problems that pop up and arise that you don't see coming. And every day is a full day's work. The concept of vacation no longer exists. You're just working in a different place on the planet. It's the consistency I'd say is probably the hardest part of being a founder. You're never really off the clock. And so that, yeah, that's probably the biggest challenge. Uh, I used to love vacation. So what was your other question? I apologize. The other question was like, what has surprised you the most? What surprised me the most, I'd have to say, is the length of time that it takes to execute B2B business deals. You know, even when two parties are completely aligned, sales cycles sometimes take a month or, or more just hashing out all the little details and the, the catch up next week. When, when you're a startup, you're usually like, yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, done. That's probably been a learning experience, but it makes sense why there's a lot more safeguards, a lot more people who uh, need to be bought in. But I guess coming into the process, I thought certain B2B deals could move swifter. Yeah, that's a common thing that I hear from a lot of entrepreneurs. And it was certainly the experience when I was operational in the space is the B2B stuff. You, you got to get the meeting, then you got to come back and meet them again. And you got to get them comfortable with what you're trying to do on a B2B basis. And then even when you get a deal done, there's typically an integration. So the entire process, it shouldn't come as a surprise to the next wave of entrepreneurs if they're listening <laughs> to the advice of folks like yourself that on the B2B side, things can take a little longer than you'd like. Definitely.
Cool. Yeah. Uh, look, you're pretty dialed into the space in terms of now that you're a few years into this thing. I, I see you at all the conferences. Uh, by the time this recording comes up, we're probably around the corner from G to E. I assume I'll see you there and bouncing around and doing your thing and, and meeting with everyone that you like to meet with and then continuing to move the needle and assess opportunities. What are some of the other products, companies out there that interest you as kind of a prelude to a little bit of where we think the industry is headed? What, what are some of the products and companies out there that intrigue you and that you think are on an interesting trajectory? That's a good question. There's one product and company that started around the same time as me is Profit Exchange, uh, Dean's company, the uh, sports betting exchange. We started roughly the same time. I remember meeting Dean. The, my first uh, thing I said to him is, that's awesome. That sounds really hard to make. <laughs> and to see that they've created an entire sports book. And I think the concept of one thing that's also shocked me about the industry is how long the minus 110 VIG has maintained itself as the standard. And seeing other companies address how sports bettors interact with the spread and coming up with ways to make minus 110 no longer the standard, I think is something that's really interesting. And, and that exchange model is one way to go about it. And so Seeing how that could take hold is, you know, a company I've definitely had my eye on for a while as, as something that's really interesting. That's kind of cool. And you speak to how you met Dean right at the beginning, at the outset of your journey. I, it kind of brings to me, and I, I wonder to what extent you kind of resonate with all the various other entrepreneurs that got going at the same time, like a whole bunch of you, not just you and Dean, there's a slew of you that got going five, four, three and a half years ago that are now one, two, three, three and a half, four years into this. And you no longer have ideas. You no longer have decks. You no longer pitching for capital or bootstrapping. You have apps that are live and you have B2C products that are in the market. And in the case of Dean, they have an exchange that's taking bets. To what extent do you kind of view yourselves as kind of in this thing collectively versus focusing on your individual journey when you look at kind of all of you as a whole that were young companies that are still young companies making their way through this wild and wacky uh, universe and industry of ours. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that statement. It does kind of, I feel like I have almost like a, a graduating class of people entered who entered the space at the same time. There's a few of us in Frankly, we've become friends and guys like uh, Chris Adams has a really interesting business with SharpRank and what they're doing, what they're doing in the betting advice industry and trying to clean up some of the issues there. We've become friends, confidants, people you can rely on, ask advice for. And really, it, it's amazing. And, and I love it. You know, A lot of this all started at uh, G2E where a few of us were in a pitch competition together. We had never met, uh, never even really Pitched the pitched the business publicly, and so that was kind of the that was the real beginning for me, at least, in getting my being around other industry people. Yeah, really cool. We're getting to the closing moments here, Ricky. This has been a lot of fun. You spoke earlier when you were speaking of your surprise at how long the current model has remained in place with the minus one ten big statement as an example of that. If we fast forward two, three, even five years from now. Where do you see the industry going and how does Juice Feel play into that? So yeah, what progress do you see coming down the, down the pipeline with bearing that comment and any other thoughts in mind 
in terms of where you see the industry headed in the years ahead and, and where you see Juice Meal fitting in alongside that. Yeah, I think one theme that I think is going to really take hold over the coming years is you're starting to hear the, you've been here in the chatter for a bit, all about player retention for sportsbook operators, but there's few, if any, not really anything operationalized at all, where player retention is sold like a product to operators. And one of the things that Juice Reel is able to do is garner sports bettors' attention and traffic them to operators. And I think that today, operators pay affiliates pretty much only if an affiliate brings the player to the operator for the first time. Eventually, everyone's going to have signed up everywhere or wherever they're going to, and operators are still going to need traffic brought to them. And products that can bring sports bettors into a betting platform is valuable. And being able to sell that valuable service in, in a granular fashion is a new payment model around player retention that I think is going to come into the forefront of sports betting over the coming years. Well, I know that if and as it does, you'll be playing a key role uh, alongside that given the data that you're gathering. And that might be more of a 2025 eventuality. With your eyes on the prize this football season, any short-term goals as we wrap this segment up here for, for the next few months during your busy season? Yeah, I mean, our, our goal for this football season is just keep scaling the platform, keep it operating at a high level, and keep uh, spreading the word about Juice Reel. Awesome. Ricky, look, really enjoyed uh, spending some time with you here. You've done a great job in, in terms of building a, a fantastic product and a fantastic business. Love the bootstrap angle, bringing you to where you are today. Appreciate you joining me as a guest and look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you. And thanks for having me on.